close approach. Journey through darkness, we are joined with industry. Legacy is saved. Dodge radiation, humans reach for God of war. Take the close approach. Falling in thin air, breathless anticipation. Regolith awaits. Rainbow galaxies compete with the stars above me. Mars is now my home. Welcome to Speculative Sandbox, your audio playground for creative storytellers. My name is Vicki Lawn, and each episode, I and a guest will unpack a fiction trope with an eye for character development and narrative structures. Make sure to look for Speculative Sandbox on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter, where you can join the conversation. Leave comments or questions, or let us know what other tropes we should cover. When the real world just doesn't cut it, let's get lost in a fictional one. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Wendy Van Camp, thank you so much for joining me on Speculative Sandbox today. This is going to be a very different kind of episode because I'm going to learn about your very special and unique form of poetry. So can you introduce yourselves and, and tell me and the listeners what you do? Okay, thank you, Vicki. It's a pleasure to be here on your program. Uh, my name is Wendy Van Camp. I am the Poet Laureate for the city of Anaheim, California. And I am what is known as a speculative poet. This means that I write poetry in many forms, although I have a specialty, which I'll go into. But my poetry is a science fiction or fantasy or astro poetry theme. So I take a lot of my um, poetry inspiration from science journals. And sometimes I take my, um, my ideas from common science fiction tropes that any writer, a novelist or short story writer would use, but I, I turn them into poems. Now, I actually specialize in a poetry form called sci-fi coup, which is science fiction themed haiku, although I also write astro poetry, which is poetry about um, space and stars um, in haiku form too. And I'll be reading a few examples of that for you later. Um, but yeah, I, I've been a poet for, gosh, maybe 15 years now. I, I kind of stumbled on it by accident. Uh, previously, I, you know, in another life, so to speak, uh, I was a novelist and I wrote science fiction. It, it's what I grew up reading um, almost exclusively. And when I became a novelist uh, almost 20 years ago, um, that is what I wrote because 
you know, that's what I knew. Um, but one day I was at a con and stumbled in on a poetry workshop. I didn't even know it was. I just saw on a sign next to a, a seat I happened to be sitting on, and it said Sci-Fi Coup Workshop. And I went, Sci-Fi Coup? What the heck is that? And I went, you know, there's air conditioning inside. It's really hot out in the courtyard. <laughs> and, you know, I'm going to just go in and get a glass of water and, you know, pull down a little bit and we'll see. So I go into the room and there's like six or seven people. I thought, oh, good. Other people are here for the class. So I, I just took a seat. And, you know, it was all very casual. Well, one of the people from the group went up to the front of the room and she says, good day. I will be your instructor today. And she looks right at me and she says, you will be my only student. And I kind of went, what? I go, who are these other people? And she goes, oh, these are just uh, friends that have come to support me. They're oh. all editors of national level poetry magazines. I hope you don't mind. And I kind of sank in my chair. I went, oh, my God. <laughs> wow. I kind of felt sorry for her because obviously she had put a lot of effort in. There was a lot of interest for her as a teacher. And I really had nowhere else to go. And I figured, why not? I mean, I'll, I'll just do her class. So we went ahead and did this class on how to write sci-fi coup. And at the end of the workshop, I wrote a poem, very first poem I've written. In fact, I don't think I even had written any poetry for at least 20 years. I, I maybe had a few assignments in high school. And that was the last time I'd written a poem. Um, but I wrote it. And the end she says oh she said would you please stand up and read your poem to the class and probably go what class i'm the only one yeah but uh, i did read my poem out loud and i sat down and she started to do a critique of the poem well one of these editors happened to be sitting next to me she suddenly leaned over and whispered in my ear i loved your poem i want to put it in my magazine i'll pay you and that my friends is the day i became a poet what a dream. What a dream experience to just kind of stumble into something and have all the like the connections right there. And you have that front and center experience with a teacher. That's so cool. But anyway, um, I, I guess uh, I'll wait for your questions and uh, you'll have to forgive me. I am a natural storyteller. So if I get a little long winded, uh, forgive me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's get you started with some icebreaker questions. Not that I think you need it, because you seem very comfortable. Like, and you told me you're very experienced with, on panels. But I figured we'll get kind of started with some fun stuff and slowly segue into the topic. So my first question is, what is your favorite sci-fi movie or book right now? Mm, that's a good question. And only science fiction movie, huh? Mm -hmm. I would say currently that would be Doom. Um, okay. The new one with uh, Timothy Chalamet and Zendaya. And, uh, oh my God. I, 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 I've read the original books. This is when I've even written book reviews on Doom. But I was blown away by this adaptation of, of the movie, of this book. And I'm very much looking forward to um, the sequel, which is Doom 2. And I understand uh, Doom Messiah has just been greenlit, so there will be three of them all together. So I'm very excited. I really love seeing this classic science fiction book um, portrayed true to the story, and just uh, between the cinematography, the acting, I mean, everything. It's just, it's just this gestalt of just, of just perfection. So I, I would say 
how does it compare to the one from like what was it the 80s the 70s yeah yeah that's the one with um well gosh what was it the guy from sex in the city Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. i I actually enjoyed it at the time but only because i had read the book and i understand that people that weren't familiar with the story of dune had trouble following it so which i can understand it's an incredibly complex story i mean that's why it's considered classic um, it, it, it touches on themes of, of, of ecology, political power, of um, hero and anti-hero. I mean, it just is everything and woven so expertly by Mr. So, yeah, it, I can see why people might have had trouble with that movie adaptation. And also, I, I, I don't mean to, to uh, disparage David Lynch at all, um, but you know, he missed a few things. And I think that was part of the he, he was trying to put so much into one film that um, it just didn't quite work. Whether's the current adaptation was only half of book one. And it allowed time to develop the characters and the world in a meaningful way. And so I, I think the current director, uh, Denny Deneuve, the name is, um, I think he took the right approach to this. But you know, I, I anything this uh, director has done, I love. What is your favorite planet? I would think, um, even though I live here on Earth, of course, I think my favorite planet must be Mars. Although I think Venus comes in at a close second. Um, both planets have very interesting physical features. Uh, and they just fascinate me, considering... They may have found life on Venus. There's something blue in the clouds that can't be explained, except maybe because of light. And they're sending probes to investigate it, even as we speak. Um, so I, I just find it all very fascinating. Um, but Mars, of course, since it's the target of future immigration, and it's uh, we've explored it so much, and we have so much information about it, I find it fascinating, too. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Doom with all the uh, sand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I love Mars too. I like looking up in the sky. Although I think Venus is the brighter star, but Venus and Mars are very close to each other right now in the night sky. I've noticed for a while. Um, I think Venus is the Venus. Which one's Mars is smaller, right? But Venus is the one that's closer to Earth size. Is um, smaller. It's bigger than the Moon, but much smaller than Earth. Excuse me. And uh, it's also further away from us. Mm -hmm. Venus is closer to us. It's about the same size as the Earth. And I think because of the cloud cover, it's kind of uniform. And and look, it's it's very bright in the sky. Um, I think because the sun is shining on it um, because it's so much closer to the sun. So that's kind of, I believe we call it the morning. Oh, okay. Well, that's awesome. All right. And then my third icebreaker question is, given all the news headlines and FBI reports, and apparently, do you think aliens are visiting us right now? I think Carl Sagan said that best. He says, with the vast size of the entire universe, if there isn't life other than us, that's a hell of a waste of space. Mm, Agreed. Okay, so let's get going into this poetry, sci-fi cue, astro-poetry, 
uh, reading today. So I thought it'd be fun to have you read some poems and then we discuss each one as we go. So is there one that you want to start with? I am going to start with Close Approach. Close Approach, a sci-fi coup series uh, by Wendy Van Camp. This uh, poem series was nominated for the Pushcart Prize in 2022, and one of the segments of it was nominated for a Dwarf Star Award also in 2022. It was originally published in the Starlight Sci-Fi Coup Review in spring of 2021. Uh, the poem was inspired by a photo sent to Earth by the Curiosity rover on Mars and my research into Elon Musk's plan to colonize the planet. Close approach, the term, is the moment when Earth and Mars are at their nearest point and thus the shortest time for a spaceship to travel between planets. So here we go. Close Approach. Journey through darkness. We are joined with industry. Legacy is saved. Dodge radiation. Humans reach for God of War. Take the close approach. Falling in thin air. Breathless anticipation. Regolith awaits. Rainbow galaxies compete with the stars above me. Mars is now my home. Thank you for reading that, Wendy. Um, I really enjoyed that. So I'm, I'm guessing based off of the way you wrote this, you have a very optimistic view on on our opt like our aspirations to eventually colonize Mars. What are your thoughts on that? Um, you know, if they need a poet laureate for Mars, I'm available. <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, I think I'm a maybe a little bit too long in tooth to go. It it unfortunately, I don't think the medical facilities are are for women of my age. <laughs> but oh. um but you know what? It would be a grand adventure to go. And, you know, like any um, movement of the human race, uh, we've slowly colonized this entire planet. And, you know, travel to other continents was not exactly easy for our ancestors, even two or 300 years ago. I mean, think of the tall ships and all that and how long it took to go from Europe to um, to the New World or from Polynesia from those explorers who went to South America and to Hawaii and all that. It was an incredible journey at, from any culture. Well, we're kind of at that precipice right now. Going to Mars is a long journey of nine months. There's the danger of radiation exposure on the way. And when we reach the planet, um, there's really not a lot of atmosphere to protect us. Uh, the first colonists will probably have to live underground just for the protection of the radiation. But there is technology that could create an artificial uh, magnetosphere. And there are other things that we could do to revitalize the planet. I've seen plans to terraform Mars to be almost Earth-like that would take maybe 100 years. So uh, I, I don't know how valid these are. These are just theories. But I find them all to be very promising and very interesting. But I think the first step is for us to get there and to not dally. How do you take so many ideas, so many thoughts and emotions and put it into a short format like this? What, what do you focus on? 
I've always, I think I've always had a knack for writing small. I, I used to do game design in uh, mush environments, which is text-based role-playing games, which I don't know if they exist anymore, but back in the day, they were, they were quite popular. And I was what was known as a goddess slash wizard, and I would code entire worlds for people to, uh, to play in. And I found when I did that, I enjoyed creating small spaces the, ba the best. Um, I'd create little tucked away secret rooms and little trails that people have to stumble upon that they just didn't, you know, I didn't put a sign up here. It is, they had to find it. And I really enjoyed doing these really tiny kind of things. And so when I started writing poetry, I think the smallness of sci-fi coup and the use of the perfect word to bring the um, idea across um, really appealed to me. And it seems to be my wheelhouse as a poet. I, I actually have trouble writing long form poetry. I, I keep practicing and doing it. And I, I've been publishing a few longer pieces. But deep down, the short micro poetry form is my strength and what I enjoy doing the most. What do you think makes well, let's see if I can figure out how to ask this question I basically I want to say like what is best served to have short form for sci-fi does that make sense like, I guess like what is the biggest strength when you're applying sci-fi to that form hmm. that's a good question I think for me it's learning to carry ideas not only just with the word but the emotion and the visual the visual quality of how your words are arranged. I, you know, when I when I write poetry, I sometimes draw on on colloquialisms or different meanings of words in in a different way. I don't know if that makes sense or not. But there's a lot more to it than just picking the right word. It's also carrying the emotion and carrying carrying the trope and the idea through it. it short poetry is probably more difficult to write than long form because in a long form you have more space to write in the words and as a short story writer or a novelist you have even more space but uh, the sci-fi cue it has to be to the point and it has to do a lot with with less and for me that's just appealing I, I don't like I said I don't know why not everybody can write sci-fi cue but I just have to be one of those few that do all right, so let's move on to your next poem. Are we going in order of when what you sent? So the last journey is that the next one? I believe it is. Let me move my little screen down here. Yes, the last journey. Okay, go ahead whenever you're ready. Anyway, the last journey is another sci-fi coup series by Wendy Van Camp. It was published in Eccentric Orbits Two in April of 2021, and I happen to be the editor of that. Uh, of that uh, anthology. The sci-fi coup segment that was nominated for the Dwarf Star Award is As Galaxies Form, which is one of the segments. And let's see, and this is what, how I usually describe the poem before I read it at open mics. After seven years of service, the supercomputer Mira performed one last simulation of our universe. The sci-fi coup series commemorates her last journey before retirement and replacement by the AI Aurora. Um, basically, I, I was reading about a supercomputer that scientists were using to simulate the entire universe. Uh, 
with um, certain properties earmarked. And these simulations that the AI um, created for them would take months or even a year at a time to do. Um, so, and since this was her seventh journey, um, that's a considerable amount of time. And the scientists, when they spoke about the computer, spoke of her as if she were a person. And I thought, you know, maybe she was, for all we know, considering all the news we have about sentient uh, AI and supercomputers. Uh, I thought maybe she deserved an ode of sorts. So here we go. The Last Journey. AI, please show me. Bright stars engulfed within dark matter halos. Gaze back and forward. Mira, mira on the wall. Universal history. Science watches God. A simulation of time, gravity only. As galaxies form within halos of dark matter, the last journey ends. Mira shuts her eyes. Gravity journey over. Aurora arrives. That's beautiful. I love the idea of personifying Mira and being able to kind of honor that impact that she had. Uh, what's really interesting to me about short form like this is that it's engravable, if that makes sense. Yeah. So <laughs> when you can, it could be placed on plaques, it could be accompanying um, displays, it could go into time capsules, it can, you know, it can go with things on on journeys. So and I, I kind of love that this was a moment to to say goodbye to one thing to welcome another. So what, how did you feel writing this? Like, were you leaning more into like the feeling of grief? Is it also some hope? What were your thoughts? I really was interested by the personhood of this AI. And this was written several years ago before AI was really in the uh, the mainstream conversation. It was still considered something part of the scientific community. And I was really amazed at how these scientists would speak of this AI as a real person and that they respected her and the sense of honoring her as she basically was shut down and killed, you know, if we want to be blunt. Um, well, <laughs> you know, um, but they they honored her and they they honored the information that she uh, gave to them. And I just thought that, you know, how we honor life after the people we know um, die, we uh, we like to to remind ourselves of them. And so I, I kind of was thinking along those lines when I wrote this uh, series of sci-fi coupons. In addition to, so you talked about this one being nominated and being published. Are there any opportunities to to work with NASA or have NASA see these things? Well, I don't know. I have not personally worked with NASA, but the U.S. Poet Laureate just wrote a poem about Europa to be included with the uh, Europa Clipper that's going to be blasting off from Earth uh, sometime next year. Um, if you go to NASA and look for a message in a bottle, you can sign up and have your name added to the inscriptions with her poem onto the spacecraft. And, I, and it's all free. 
So I, I, I kind of did that myself. And I've been urging a lot of the people in my city uh, that come to my open mics uh, to do so as well. I, I just think it's a cool idea. And Ada Limon's poem is beautiful. And she has recorded it both in English and in Spanish. And of course, you can read it just via text. So I, I highly recommend it. What a beautiful thing that humans create art and want to share art. Just put it out there um, uh, uh, in the far reaches that we can possibly get. And maybe even like hope that if we do come across alien life forms that they could, it could be intercepted and seen. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay, so cats are not allowed in paradise. I thought this was a kind of a charming change um, mm -hmm. as I was reading this. And this is by inspired by your cat. So let's let's talk about cats are not allowed in paradise. <laughs> yes, this poem is inspired by my little kitty, Biscuit. <laughs> uh, you know, she whenever I go into the backyard to have a cup of coffee in the morning, um, and uh, I have a I have like a little garden setting back there. Um, she likes to sit at the in the kitchen, looking out through the window, very mournful because she can't come out with me. But um, as the poem states, it's not always safe for her. Uh, the title "Cats Are Not Allowed in Paradise" just sort of came to me intuitively. I, I it just sort of burst into my mind. I I tend to be an intuitive writer. I really I have a highly trained muse. And uh, it does double time for me sometimes. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, when I usually announce the title, I actually get people go, what? what do you mean cats are not allowed in paradise? But when they hear the poem, they understand. Um, but anyway, um, this poem was published in The Junction, which is an online magazine on Medium in March of 2022. So it's fairly recent. And I'll go ahead and read it to you. Cats are not allowed in paradise. Entering the garden, coffee cup mist waves as daybreak warms my face. The cast iron chair is cold and sturdy. The grit of dust polishes my legs. In pools of light, splashes of color engulf me. Hot cocoa hues blend in rusty roses while pink-yellow climbers reach for the sun. Lemon oil scents my fingers from fresh-picked citrus on the table in my personal Elysian field. Soft meows at the kitchen door reveal a tiny mournful face imprisoned in the shadows. My heart softens to her plight, but my ankles must remain free of the soft brush of feline fur. For cats are not allowed in paradise. Vertical explorations into tall trees will lead us to misadventures, and wild coyotes prowl outside these solid stone walls. I cannot open the door. I like how we've kind of taken our sights off of the sky for a minute and kind of focused here on the ground with our personal relationships and intimate, you know, family members um, and our, and our pets. And I relate to this because I live in Arizona and I never see stray cats because they get eaten 
by the the coyotes and the bobcats and the owls and everything that we have here. So um, uh, clearly this is a, a personal poem because it's your cat, but in the great greater context of our conversation today and our conversation about earth and sky and all planets, what, what makes this um, a poem that you wanted to include today? Well, I uh, usually do write speculative poetry, but um, since I've become a poet laureate, I have been trying to branch out into more literary work. Uh, this was just a poem I was doing at a workshop just for practice, and I thought it turned out rather well. And as I've taken it to various open mics in my city and beyond, I find that it's become quite popular. And I thought it was a nice counterpoint to all my speculative poetry, just to let your listeners know that, you know, I, I'm i not a one-trick pony. <laughs> <laughs> You've got many talents. <laughs> well, I just love the focus on details that, you know, that you do appreciate when you're in that moment like the coffee cup and how it's misting and then you have the sensation of an iron ch chair you got dust you've got light you've got colors surrounding you sense of fruit and then the co that combined with the fur of your your cat I just think it really does a great job of putting you in the moment and I love that about literature and poetry in general and how it can put a reader right there with you mm -hmm. I agree and then we have your fourth poem Cassandra. Tell me about Cassandra. Cassandra is an older poem. It published back in July of 2018. It was one of my first efforts, um, even one of the first uh, of my poems that started publishing uh, in uh, a regular magazine. This one was in one called Lit Up, which is also on Medium, but it was a it was a very popular magazine and it was not an easy one to get into. Um, so I was very honored when they selected um, my poem. Um, this poem was inspired, of course, by the myth of Cassandra, um, but I decided to do it in more of a science fiction form. So here we go. Cassandra. In the morning, your ship will be sailing, prepared by your father to whisk you safe. Watch the Silicon City understanding as the people flee the enemy in haste. Now that the last bloody day is dawning, you suffer your secrets within your heart, for none would listen to words of warning. Oh, Cassandra, it is time to depart. Into the fair skies you rocket up, away from the death you have foreseen. In orbit, solar sails prepare to cup waves of photon energy by machine. Sorry, Cassandra, we did not believe we only saw it as dreams you would weave. That one definitely has a sadder tone than the ones that we've read before. Can you walk me through the Cassandra mythology? Well, Cassandra was a prophetess um, who lived in the city of Troy, and she foresaw the fall of Troy Um you know, you might remember the Trojan horse story and all that. Mm -hmm. And she was chastised by everyone. Um, nobody believed her. And in the end, of course, um, her city fell to the enemy. So that's why this one's so sad. I'm trying to capture the original um, sadness and despair from the original legend. Um, but I decided to switch it up and make it more of a futuristic sci-fi kind of feel, too. So... 
like I said, it's one of my earlier efforts, but um, I still like it. And I tend to save it to be the last poem I read um, when I'm doing a, a longer reading. I love it. That makes me think of, I mean, if relating it to current events, I guess, maybe not even current events, but the idea that people are worried about a home and warning and warning and warning, and then no one heeds your warning mm -hmm. and you watch something kind of crumble. You know, uh, I, I wrote this a long time ago, but it seems to be becoming more and more real as time goes on, doesn't it? <laughs> okay. Uh, so we have, I figure we do this kind of fun thing before we move on to the rest of the questions where we work with our listeners to create an original poem. So this, this will be kind of interesting. I don't know if you've ever, have you ever done this before in this context? Well, I do teach sci-fi coup. Um, poetry workshops. So I figure we'll kind of do something along those lines. I, I uh, actually composed my work in a special notebook and with a fountain pen. And I'm going to pull that out right now okay. while we work on this. So let me get a page, move my keyboard over with hopefully not tipping it off the shelf. There we go. <laughs> okay. And then I'm going to place in the chat the prompts that I received. Okay. So what I did was I posted on our Instagram stories and said, participate in this sci-fi coup exercise, fill out th these prompts. And so we asked people to give us a sci-fi trope, an emotional word, and a season or time, one word season or time. So we got that. Um, did you want to, are we working me, with, are we all of them or are we picking from the list? Let, let me, let me explain what we're going to do. Um, because these are all parts that you probably need to include in a sci-fi coup poem. And that's what we're going to write. Um, just to let you know, Vicki, um, a sci-fi coup poem is very similar to haiku. Um, you have five syllable line on the first line, seven syllable line on the middle line, and again, a five syllable line for the third line. Now, when we write sci-fi are at the basis of the poem needs to be a science fiction trope. And so that is what the first column is. And let me read this out for your listeners to hear. Um, sci-fi trope, cybernetic implants, aliens are humans, time travel, AI goes rogue, fish out of water, robots, evil aliens, the ghost in the machine. So this is going to be the basic trope that we work with. We're not going to use all of them. You will pick the one that appeals to you the most, one that resonates with you as a poet. Now, the emotional words that were given are tearful, distraught, horny, anxious, and or anxiety, somber, and exhausted. And what we want to do is make sure we incorporate a single emotion in the poem we write. So we are gonna combine one trope from the list with one emotional word. Now the final section are season and time. Um, this is also known as a kigo in Japanese haiku. And just to let your listeners know, um, sci-fi ku is kind of a specialized form of haiku, but um, we are not required to have a kigo or seasonal word in the poem. However, if you can put one in, it makes the poem stronger and um, I, I think it improves it, but it is not required. And a lot of people don't realize that. So uh, if you're out there listening, it is not required. <laughs> okay. Okay. So to do all this in three lines, is that the goal? 
That's it. Oh, and let me read the words that were listed for your listeners. Um, it's serendipity, birth, spring, winter, autumn, dusk, frack epidemic. Now, uh, I have to say, <laughs> not one word <laughs> is not. Well, no, it's also not a moment in time. Uh, the Kigo needs to be a moment in time. So serendipity would not work either. I think okay. the ones from here that would is birth is actually a good one. Spring, winter, autumn, and dusk are the ones okay. I think, if you choose to. Again, they're more optional. So what we need to do is pick a trope that appeals to us. So maybe time travel or robots or, you know, whatever. Mm, okay. And then um, what I usually tell um, my students to do is to just let your mind kind of go and start writing down phrases that might fit with the trope. And what I try to do is try to get them in either um, five syllable length or seven syllable length. Now, for me, it'll be easy because, you know, I'm experienced. It might be a little more difficult for you. I'm going to do so bad, but you're my teacher. <laughs> don't, but I want to say, don't worry about it, because honestly, um, even if it, it isn't perfect, that's okay. If you, if you have to do like eight lines or whatever, I mean, technically in sci-fi coup, you can be even shorter. It can be like one word at the very end that just kind of is a punctuation. It, it's still valid. Um, even though we try to strive for the five, seven, five syllable format, um, it doesn't have to be that way. And I've seen professional haiku poets that they pull out all stops and do all kinds of things. So, so don't worry about it. Just be creative and, uh, let's, let's try to at least talk about what we're doing. Um, just so your listeners kind of have something to listen to because otherwise it's just a scribbling. <laughs> okay. I kind of have an idea that I'm playing with. So I like to just reach out. I, what I, first of all, what I find interesting is that all the emotional words at the exception of horny are like sad, right? They're yeah. tearful, distraught, anxious, somber, exhausted. No one submitted um, jolly or, um, you know, uh, eager, you know, stuff like that. So uh, already I'm feeling like this poem's going to be a little dark um, but yeah, I, I want to go into, can it, can it be humorous? That's kind of absolutely. my thing. It, okay. It's your poem. It can be anything you want. And by the way, when I, I do teach my sci-fi coup class, I always stress that you can have cheerful emotional words. I, I try to inject some optimism into it, but even so it usually comes out pretty <laughs> <laughs> people seem to associate poetry with um dire emotions i guess but uh, it doesn't have to be that way okay well i have a thought i wanted to do cybernetic implants and i wanted my first i need a one word to replace nefarious nefarious i need a word to replace that because I... four syllables right so what what's a one syllable i can replace because i put down damn this nefarious ear hole <laughs> Because I'm going to do cybernetic implants. You're actually at eight syllables. That could be your middle, um, your middle line. And if you take out "damn," um, you would be at seven. I would be at seven. Okay. And it's usable for you. You should at least write it down so that you know that it's there, and you you may not use it. Um, I always recommend you generate at least ten five-syllable lines and at least three to four of the seven. So that's one of your seven right there. Okay. So but my thought my th thought process was 
I want to improve the way that I hear things. So I'm going to use a cybernetic implant in my head, but it has disastrous results. Okay. I end up hearing things, but I hear things I don't want to hear. Like it's too much. So like, I can't, like in sci-fi coup, you want to shorten each idea. You, you have about three or four different ideas in just that line alone. Okay. Look at the sentence and look at each part individually, <coughs> excuse me, and decide which part is the strongest. Okay. So, so here's, I'll just read what I've got so far. Um, however, okay. Is the final poem just three lines or, or can we make multiple groupings of those? Well, you can do multiple groupings on a theme, but I would focus on just trying to get one poem done. So okay. three lines only. And if you have extra lines, you can use them later. Don't worry that nothing gets thrown away. That's why I always compose my poetry in a single notebook where I scribble and cross out things and whatever, but it's there. And it goes back like almost 10 years now in the same book. God forbid if I ever lost it, right? But, mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, I, I like that because then I can go back and look at what I wrote in the past. And sometimes that inspires new work too. And sometimes on rare occasions, I find poems I'd forgotten I've written and whoop, that's great because then I can go into my, my submission file. <laughs> okay. If you feel your language is simple, don't worry about that. That's sometimes people think of poetry as these real long words and it's, you know, for college professors. Um, I don't believe that as a poet. I think poetry should be accessible from the ground up and simple language that gets to the point is more than acceptable. And in fact, in some cases, preferable. So that's my opinion. I'm sticking to it. <laughs> okay. So then Cybernetic sounds, this nefarious ear hole, somber are your words. I like that. That's good. I'd say that's a poem. Should and we try to and let me let me analyze it real quick? That's not too bad. I mean, it's yeah, it would be considered now just to go over the different parts. Um, cybernetic sounds is your science fiction trope. So that's what makes it sci-fi coup. Nefarious ear hole. Um, nefarious is an emotional term, it, you know, means something kind of mysterious or whatever. Somber are your words. Uh, that's again, a strong emotion. Now this particular one does not have a Kigo, but again, in sci-fi coup, it's not a requirement. So you're fine. Now there are such things as cutting words as well. Um, I think your nefarious ear hole might technically qualify for that, but, uh, I, I would still play with it before I would call it a cutting word. And I'm not going to go into that. This is a more advanced um, <laughs> haiku. It, when I visit um, haiku societies, you would be amazed at some of the um, conversations that go on among the um, master poets and about the ma of haiku. And other, uh, it's just incredible. I, I sometimes just sit back and go, huh. <laughs> I just like to write. <laughs> That's what I do. Well, thank you for teaching me how to do a sci-fi cue. I can't promise that I'm the best student. I did my best. I had fun with the words that were submitted. And um, I will put these on social media as well for anyone else that wants to play with these words and maybe submit their own sci-fi cue. Would you be willing to give your critiques on those? Should that happen? I, I certainly would. Okay, perfect. So 
my next question is we have some speculative fiction lovers and writers listening to this podcast what advice do you have for those who are like wow this is really cool i want to try doing this well i would first suggest um getting a book on the subject or taking a class I, i do teach at many of the top name um uh, science fiction conventions like Worldcon and uh, Balticon and other locations, but there are other teachers as well. Um, there are also just books. I, I don't know if there's necessarily books on sci-fi coup, but there are books on haiku. And if you learn the words of haiku and you follow the words from the sci-fi coup manifesto, which is online, um, I think you can become a credible sci-fi coup poet. Um, I would also read sci-fi coup uh, so that you get an idea of how it is. And there are many uh, magazines that specialize in sci-fi coup poetry. Sci-fi coup is one. The Starlight Sci-fi coup Review is another. Uh, Starline is a good one um, to find sci-fi coup poems. And I'm trying, there are a couple more. Um, you would just have to find uh, magazines that specialize in speculative poetry. You usually see sci-fi coup there. Are you available to teach anybody that's listening right now? Um, I do teach um, classes. I, I'm actually thinking of setting up some classes on my Substack, um, uh, but I, I'm still kind of in the process of getting it going. I do mentor as well. Um, I basically mentor people on the convention circuit and how to get started as a speaker and things of that. Um, I only do it for a limited number. I actually have a mentee right now, but I will be open to taking more probably toward the end of the year. So if they're interested, they should uh, look to my website, uh, wendyvancamp.com, or on my substack, which is nowastedink.substack.com. Um, I have a free newsletter that you're welcome to subscribe to, but I'm going to be adding subscription content there as well as time goes on. So I think classes will definitely be a part of that. I, I do teach for free, but I only do that in my city where I'm the Poet Laureate as a service to the city. Um, but for other places, it, you usually have to pay to see me, I'm afraid. Uh, either you pay the convention or, you know, it's to me directly as an instructor. So. How does someone become a city laureate? And that is that only available in like major cities or can we start one in any like smaller town? Um, well, a poet laureate, um, it depends on your city. If they decide to have a program, not all cities do. And poet laureates can be of many levels. Um, there are city poet laureates, which is what I am. There are county level poet laureates. And there are statewide poet laureates. And then, of course, there the U.S. government has a poet laureate. I believe I mentioned mm -hmm. the, the current U.S. poet laureate, who Ada Lamont, earlier. Um, but, yeah, you uh, it has to be something set up by the city. Um, it's not always a paid position. In fact, usually it's unpaid. Um, I'm lucky because I had a limited budget, so it allowed me to produce a, um anthology for the local poets in our area. And they were all thrilled to be published. Many of them, this was the first time that their words had seen print, but I had a lot of experienced poets um, come on board too, because I guess they realized that, yes, I do nominate it for Best of the West, or I'm sorry, Best of the Net and uh, for the Pushcart Prize. So a few of them will see that in their future. 
from my um, anthology. But uh, yeah, it's it's really hit or miss. If you're interested in being a poet laureate, make sure you have published at least one poetry collection that you have to have experience in being a public speaker to be able to give readings. Some And I would recommend also community organizing experience. Um, I basically am organizing a large scale library event for my city. I did it last year. I'm kind of on track to do it this year. Again, um, I also, um, you know, I, I, I do a lot and you really have to have a lot of multiple hats. I, I don't really think being a poet laureate is actually being a fantastic poet, although that certainly doesn't hurt. I think it's more being inspiring to others, teaching and being a great organizer. So those are, I think those are the most um, powerful skills that you uh, should have as a poet laureate. Well, Wendy, thank you so much for being on Speculative Sandbox. I learned something new today. I hope our listeners learned something new today. Um, it was really, really great to do something different. And I was really happy to hear that they have poet laureates for speculative fiction, particularly, and that well, cities supported that. I better better qualify that. I'm only one of four in the entire United States. We're very oh. rare. Very wow. Yeah. Are, are you is your next step? Are you gonna go for the US level? <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> um yeah, my city just happened to be very strong in STEAM or STEM education in the library system, which is bringing science to students. And so my I thought my poetry might be a liability when I applied for the position, but it turned out it turned out to be an asset. So but that's I'm really very much an exception. <laughs> so <laughs> and every system is different. So I, I don't mean to 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 say uh, to uh, put out the well, anyway, you know what I mean. <laughs> Do you have any final remarks for our listeners? Um, well, I just wanted to say it, it's been a pleasure to be here. And I certainly hope that you will uh, keep up with me. Uh, my website, of course, is wendyvancamp.com. My free monthly newsletter is found at nowastedinc.substack.com. And uh, just look around at all the conventions that go on. Chances are you'll see me there as a panelist. And please come to my panels and uh, say hello. And I guess that's it. Speculative Sandbox is a volunteer-run podcast that relies on the collaboration of fellow creators like you. Join the conversation and participate in fun polls and questionnaires on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. Interested in being in a future episode? Our DMs are open, or you can email speculativesandbox at gmail.com. Mm-hmm.